Hey everybody, it's Tim here, one half of Horror Movie Yearbook, and also one half of Multimedium, our other podcast. I am dropping this one in the regular Horror Movie Yearbook feed because it is Alien 3, and I figured it was close enough to a horror movie. So I figured there might be some subscribers that may have some interest in Willie and I talking about Alien 3, the different versions of it, the William Gibson script that was adapted into a novel that did not end up becoming a movie, but instead Alien 3 ended up being directed by David Fincher because we go into pretty much everything you can imagine on the development of Alien 3 in this episode. And I figured this might be of interest to some of our listeners. If you are newer here and you haven't subscribed to Multimedium, do it. It's available on any podcasting service that you listen to, I think. So Multimedium is the podcast, and that is what you will be hearing. It is Willie and I talking about Alien 3. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Multimedium, the show where my illustrious co-host, Mr. Tim Long, and I discuss uh, various adaptations in their different forms. Yes. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, we've done plenty of fun stuff. At least we think it's fun. In the past, we've uh, talked about everything from Jurassic Park to uh, Resident Evil to Clue, the board game and movie, to... Boy, we've done a bunch of stuff. What's now. the last thing we did? We did Battle Royale, but that wasn't the last. We just did He-Man. That's right. Uh, or more specifically, Masters of the Universe. Yep. Uh, the uh, Dolph Lundgren film, which was adapted... Uh, Mostly from the uh, comic books that were included with the He-Man action figures back when they were first coming out in the 80s. Um, But yeah, thank you for joining us. If you're joining us for the second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever time, uh, thanks for coming back. Clearly you like something here. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're joining us for the first time, this might not be the best first episode. (laughs) (laughs) We will will get into more (laughs) as we go. I believe this is our eighth episode, and we uh, we have now... This will be the first time that we are kind of, sort of, um, breaking from the mission statement of the show. I don't think we're... This feels like a bending of the rules more than a breaking. And We're going to do our best. And I will explain why in a moment here. Um, but this is our Jump the Shark episode. The, yeah, this, this is where this people, is. Are gonna, yeah, people are going to give up on us. <laughs> um, if you have any feedback for us, any ideas for future episodes or th- adaptations you would like discussed on the show... Please feel free to let us know. Um, you can reach us uh, via email, multimediumpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also uh, find us on Twitter. Um, I believe we're at multimediumpod or at multi... We're on there. You'll find us. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. be sure to let us know what you think and uh, anything you want to hear about. Now... This is where the disclaimer begins. We are discussing Alien 3. Um, <laughs> this is a complicated subject, to I, say I the least. I can't remember if we had our discussion. On, I think we did. So I everybody knows I'm to blame for this because I said, let's go with the movie version of Alien 3, not knowing how different oh, what we're talking sure. about. Sure. Okay, so, <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so Tim, Tim, Tim had not, Tim had seen Alien 3, certainly, the, the, finished, the, yes. uh, the finished film. Uh, had not read the Gibson stuff, the the the, the William Gibson uh, script or the various adaptations of that script previous, so he did not realize the time. 
And uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, we're going to be talking about all things Alien 3 here. So, But specifically, we're really going to be digging into um, probably the most famous unproduced screenplay for Alien 3, and there are a lot of them. And Tim, I believe you have some notes on some we'll talk about yes. uh, as we move forward. But the William Gibson script uh, is probably the most well-known out of like an insa- like a dozen scripts um, that mostly are now available at this point um, on the internet. Um, we will be primarily discussing both the original William Gibson draft as well as the novelization, which just came out earlier, or I'm sorry, uh, just last year, uh, a matter of months ago, um, a few months back, uh, which was, um, uh, I think, pretty well received. I mean, I, it, it certainly, the, the hype was was through the roof for it because I think people alien fans have a weird relationship with alien three the finished <laughs> product and I, I not counting just the unproduced screenplays like I said of which there are a lot um, if we're looking at alternative versions of what alien three became it's been done so many times in so many different formats it's really kind of incredible uh, just the Gibson script alone uh, it's been novelized. It's been turned into a radio drama uh, for Audible, uh, which is well worth a listen. Very cool. Uh, they bring back Lance Henriksen and Michael Bean as Hicks and Bishop. So just a quick question here, because yes. you're talking about that. Because I'm a little bit confused of course, on yeah. that, that audio drama. Is that based off of the script we read? Or it is based novel? off the second draft. The second draft, okay. Which is a different... that's the other confusing thing when it comes to the Gibson. Yeah, I know. There are, there two, are two drafts. drafts. They're very similar in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and the major difference between the dra- draft one and two is draft one has a lot more of an action element. There are a bunch of aliens and human survivors running around. There's uh, a lot more, you know, shooting guns and... and uh, alien combat the second draft there's like two or three aliens on the ship and that's it so it's a lot closer to alien right uh it's a smaller group of people trying to survive they i think they were trying to bring it back down to um uh i guess kind of what the finished alien 3 did where it was back to basics in a lot of ways um so that's the major difference a lot of the characters are in both drafts um, and a lot of the events are in both drafts, but the action is dialed down quite a bit, and the sheer amount of aliens are dialed down, um, probably for budget reasons, um, realistically. But uh, yeah, beyond just the... So they, they, they've adapted it into uh, a novel, which we'll be talking about today. Um, they've adapted it into a radio drama for Audible. They've adapted it into a Dark Horse comic book, um, and that was also the second draft that was adapted into the comic book. Um there has been a essentially a direct sequel to Aliens in a video game form with a video game that came out a couple generations ago called Aliens Colonial Marines. Very poorly received game, but is kind of them trying to not undo Alien 3, but like make a sequel that would maybe appease people more okay. than Alien 3 did. Um, there also was an original run of Dark Horse Comics. Um, which uh, I believe were the first Dark Horse Comics once they got the Aliens property. And um, those have been reprinted about a billion times. I think they're now available through Marvel Comics. Um, but this was pre, this is post Aliens and pre Alien Three, and so this was a continuation of the characters from Aliens uh, uh, moving forward in comics. Very cool comics. Uh, that first Dark Horse run is really great. Probably my favorite of the ninety thousand different sequels to Aliens that there have been. <laughs> That's probably my favorite. Is that Dark Horse run? 
Um, definitely worth a look. I believe that... Um, I don't know what they call that original run anymore, but I know it was collected in the uh, Aliens Omnibus. Is that the Omnibus stuff? Volume okay. One. Okay. So it's all in there. So that's well worth a look. Um, but anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about the the script and then the, the novelization of the script. Um, yes. This was written in 87, so the year after Aliens was released. It was very clear that 20th Century Fox and the folks uh, up top were itching for a sequel to Aliens with the success of that movie. Um, it did very well. <laughs> uh, a lot of people didn't have faith in a sequel to Alien, even behind the scenes, and it wound up kind of uh, blowing everybody's expectations out of the water and really starting a career for James Cameron. I know he directed Terminator previously, but Aliens was like cementing him as, I think, uh, between the, the one-two combo of Terminator and Aliens were the things that, that I think kind of made him... Um, there were 10 different writers that worked on Alien 3 throughout the course of its development. Uh, Gibson was the first. Uh, Gibson's probably most well-known as a, as a, a very well, well-regarded sci-fi writer, science fiction writer, novelist. Um, yeah. He's had his hand in scripts before, I believe, um, different, different things before, but he's primarily known for his, his writing, his, it, not screenwriting. 87, right? Was yeah, when this was written got, in 87. When he yep. was attached, so that would have been post-Neuromancer, and Neuromancer is the one. I have um, tried to read William Gibson yeah. a couple of times. Neuromancer, Neuromancer, I've read, but like I think I've tried Iduro too, and I've read. Sure. I think Johnny Mnemonic is more of a short story, but um, yeah, they extrapolated that into yes. kind of a, yeah. So I've tried. He's like a, but he's a writer who I respect. Like mm-hmm. I and I understand why he has such a fan base, but it's one that I have never been able to like get attached to. It's he, not, it's not my style. He's not of, a voice that you cling that you uh, are drawn to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as we get in, that's fine because the story reminded me nothing. There are touches of William Gibson in it, but yeah. like the writing in both instances, both in his script and in yeah. the adaptation, reminded me nothing of what I've read of his. Which is kind of interesting, and actually, pro- uh, kind of, I think it, it probably a testament to him as a writer because I think he probably knew I can't bring my spe- I don't necessarily want to make this William Gibson's Alien 3 because I'm not directing this thing. I want to make sure I make it feel like part of the existing fabric that's been done with uh by Scott and uh and uh Cameron. Cameron. Yeah. At the same time though, I think I, and I've never read any William Gibson previous uh so I don't have a ton of um, I, I, I do know that he has a very unique voice. Um, yes. So maybe that is something, and we'll talk about it, that maybe should have been more uh, prevalent in the screenplay in the novel, was more of that Gibson voice. It might have offered more of a it's tough an artistic it, vision there. But yeah, it is tough, though, because it is, well, like a script, and we... Uh, a script is so different than a novel because in a novel you're able to in, inject your own voice a lot more than you are in a script sometimes, especially in what we're covering right now, which is a pretty early version. Like this is not what they would have used. His script is not would have, would have not have been the shooting script they no, would have used. No, no, there would have been a, he would have had another polish at it, he and would, he did, and he did right. Yeah. I mean, you yes, know, he, yeah, and and honestly, as a director came aboard and and more producers came aboard, there would have been changes. And, of course. And, I mean, this is a Hollywood production. Even even back then, there was a lot of, there's a lot of writing on the fly that happens, too. And especially on Alien 3, but well, not the good kind. Lots of egos behind Alien 3. And, yes. and so many moving pieces. And, and when we dig into the movie here, briefly, I want to touch on a couple things that I think, I believe, personally, cursed Alien 3 before it ever 
started shooting. Right. So, but yeah, that's so in a script, it's very tough. I think there are there are thematic elements that play that, that are very much of his work, but the I think I even read a quote in one of the articles I read that basically the uh, the novelist whose name is escaping me right now who wrote the novel Pat Cadigan? Yeah, Pat Cadigan. Yeah. knows William Gibson and basically told William Gibson he was doing it. He's just like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, good luck. Best of luck to you. Because it was a work for hire job for him yeah. too. He was basically just like, all right, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do this, but it's, yeah. this is not something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about, about yes. right? Yep. For sure. Um, Gibson did write a second draft in 1988. Uh, and as I mentioned before, it kind of removes a lot of the, the action elements. It makes it feel more like alien than aliens. Yeah. It's more, um, it's more horror. Oriented. More horror focused, yeah. more claustrophobic, smaller cast. Um, yeah. Similar cast though. I believe. Yes. Yeah. Certain characters are condensed into one. Certain characters are excised all together and some make the jump over to, uh, the second draft as well. Which so. is, yeah. Which but is, specifically, uh, you know, uh, Bishop and uh, Bishop and and uh, Hicks are the two that follow through in any of these Gibson versions or adaptations of Gibson versions. Those are the two that that always tend to, that are are kind of the leads. So is this um, a good time to talk about Weaver Sigourney Weaver? Okay, so I was actually yeah. just going to mention that. So okay. uh, I mentioned before that there were a lot of issues behind the scenes that I think personally kind of and I don't want to say doomed Alien Three because I do think Alien Three has its audience. I I don't hate Alien Three. I used to. I've kind of grown out of that hating it thing. Um, I, so I don't want to say doomed, but I think that that troubled Alien 3 and gave Alien 3 a bad name before it even... It was destined for that before. And one of those things was uh, Sigourney Weaver. And I don't mean anything she did. Um, I just mean the studio's reaction to Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver was a star by the time Alien 3 rolled camera, like cameras roll on that movie. Um they were not certain if she would be interested in being involved at all. She hadn't expressed any interest in returning. I think she had actually mentioned once or twice that she was not interested in returning. Um, they also, quite frankly, didn't think they wanted to pay her whatever she was going to be right. worth, uh, which whatever she was worth, and it was a lot. Um, so that's something to be noted, and that's a problem that you're going to have right out of the get-go, um, is Gibson's draft and many of the drafts were written with the intent of we aren't going to have Sigourney for this thing. And if we do, she's going to be very, like, it's going to be sunset for a day or two. And See you later, yep. yeah. And um, I don't think that there's an, I don't have a, I do not have an inherent issue with that necessarily. I do think that the Alien franchise can exist beyond the Ripley character. Um, I do think it's possible to, um, I think the world is interesting and big enough and been developed enough to, um, for there to be alien projects, whether they're movies, TV shows, whatever, that exist without Ripley's involvement, I'm cool with that, and I and I, I don't have an issue with that in concept. Um, my issue, I think, stems from we don't necessarily they shelve her so quickly and so in the uh, Gibson script. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very, it's kind of hand wave and 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 they shelved newt too without even attempting to so what, i have less of an issue with that to be honest with you, yeah uh, well i mean we can when we talk about alien 3 we can get into the issues with yeah. newt too but in in the script what they do essentially is uh, ripley is in what cryosleep like yeah well they're all yeah at the end of aliens right they're all in a, some sort of lifeboat spaceship thing and like sleep pods like freezy like Cryo, yeah, cryopods, mm-hmm. and somehow hers is damaged due to alien activity on the on the lifeboat, and it puts her into kind of a uh, 
cryo-induced coma for the rest of the of the the script slash book. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, I think she has like a light of dialogue. It's the old, yeah. yeah like it's a the, hazy, like this dreamy. is the old. Uh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis uh, Halloween too, where she's just like, yeah. Yeah. In the hospital. Well, Jamie Lee Curtis has a bigger role, but yeah. <laughs> right. 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 But, but it's also yeah. She's laid up in a hospital bed the entire absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yep. Now is the script then? I'm trying to remember because I've sure. got a bunch of different versions of the Gibson. I know. I know. Like running through my head. Is that where they kind of set her up though for a fourth movie? Yeah. So. Um, in the in the first i believe the first draft of the gibson script they insinuate that she's going to be involved in whatever is moving forward now i don't know why that i don't know if that was studio mandated or they had confidence that they could get her back eventually i don't know i don't know what the deal is but it's interesting that it's they also, kind of also i think it's also one of those things you could put in a script mm-hmm. and then if you don't get her to agree to be in it you could Take it out pretty yep, easily. Knock it out. Yep. Same thing, even yeah. with putting her at Crow's Sleep, you could just basically say like, you could just mention it a line of, a line of dialogue, like like they wake up, Hickson, Hickson Bishop, like wake up and we sent her back to Earth to be. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think yeah. of though the way the script does it, where it continues? So it shelves Sigourney Weaver. I kind of like that it follows. I think that's the proper way to do it, though. With if you're not going to follow Ripley's to follow Hicks and Bishop from sure Aliens. so right and 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 that brings us to our next um, the Gibson version and the finished Fincher film are uh, almost two has the same coin in the sense that they both go to I think opposite extremes and I don't think either one works for it okay I think that the Gibson script does shelve Ripley and like I said I don't have an inherent issue with that depending on how it's handled. Um, I'm glad they don't just outright kill her. I think that would be too much for me. Um, but like you said, they do. You are still focusing on characters that are returning from the previous movie, and I think relatively. I, I always liked Bishop. I always thought Bishop was a really cool character, um, and I always liked Hicks. I always thought Michael Bean was uh, really good in that in Aliens. Um, I always think Michael Bean's good anyway. But the two of them, I think, make fine. Um, if you're going to do an Alien film without. Ripley or without Sigourney Weaver, I think these two work well. And they give it a different vibe, I guess. Uh, missing Ripley hurts because uh, she's like one of the great sci-fi okay, characters yeah. ever. Right. One of the great heroic characters ever. But I do think that the Bishop and Hicks dynamic, and maybe in part because they're men, and this is the, you know it's the first time we, ha- we would have a male lead, really, uh, in the series, which gives it a little bit of a different vibe. Um, I think it makes it interesting enough, those two being our leads, and different enough from the previous two to where I dig it. I'm cool with that. And they're, well, I guess what they call now legacy characters. They're carrying over from a previous movie. If these were all new characters, and then some of these other scripts tried doing right. that. Um, not only did they excise Ripley early on, but they didn't even like pick up the the ball from where aliens left that is did their own thing which i mean i don't know that can be commendable in certain circumstances but i'm not sure it'd be that satisfying so i like them i don't know about you what do you think hicks and bishop are you i mean do they work as leads for you yes um we'll dig into them a little bit more yeah yeah, yeah. the issue is and i think we can compare script to novel here a little bit Mm -hmm. too yeah it gets a little bit clogged up with the characters that I've been like, I was, as I was reading the novel, especially the script is different because it's very straightforward. Yeah. And right. Very dialogue oriented. Much I, like, more scripts brisk. are, but like, as I was reading the novel and I started to get into some of these extra characters, yep. these, cause the issue with adapting this script an early script into a novel is 
there's not a ton of depth to these characters in the script. These is the side characters as they are written in a script. Yes, Gibson has not. He hasn't lived with these characters very long at this point during this first draft either. Like he hasn't had a chance to like find yes their unique voices. And so I think there's one or two characters in the book slash script that like that I do think ha- have the the beginnings of that. Um, but so much, but, yeah. but so much of making of movie making, especially with a finished movie, is what the actors and what the directors bring to the specific characters in these scripts. Because I mean, Ripley on the page can be completely different than Ripley in the movie, the way she is portrayed, the yep. way she is performed. And in a, in when you're writing a novel, it's even tougher to do that because you don't you don't have that base. You 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 haven't spent as much spent as much time. They're not your characters either. Like. Um, the novelist doesn't have the time to sit with these characters that they didn't create them, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't, they don't know them inside and out. And yep. I feel like, like you said, there's not enough time to have sat with them. So I guess what I was trying to say is as I got to those passages that are not Hicks and Bishop, I was kind of zoned out a little bit during them. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't, I do, I do not disagree with you. Not even, not at all. No. Um, I do find that some of the, Supporting characters are a little bit. Um, I don't want to say boring. Yeah, they're just Under- not fleshed written, out. Not fleshed out. They're yeah. underwritten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just not. They're not terribly. I don't know. So, if, but that's the thing is like so if if we were adapting a movie into a novel, oh, I think I feel like we would have more of actually more meat on the bone, if you will, to yeah. to get onto the page than just adapting kind of a bare bones early draft, which is what we're working with here. So, yep. Um. Yeah, so we should mention the, the finished film. The, what wound up actually uh, being released in theaters uh, did not come out until 1992. Um, so it had been a long time, I mean, a relatively long time in between. Not not the same length of time, funny enough, between Alien and Aliens, but a long time for somebody active for a group of people actively trying to make a movie. Uh, Aliens was not something that was like actively pursued as a movie until a ways after Alien had come out. This was like an immediate, and it went on for years. Um, the final film was directed by David Fincher. He's kind of disowned the movie at this point. Um, I don't, you know, he didn't have his name taken off of it or anything like that. I don't know if he could. Um, but he's, he's really, he really talks about it. Um, it was not a good experience for him. It was his I, first movie too, yes. right? Yeah. I think he largely, he had done mostly music videos, Previous, Madonna, he did a lot of Madonna stuff. Yeah, like a prayer. I think was. I think that was Fincher. The yeah, big, big, big one he did. He did I, some. Yeah. He did some big music videos in the eighties, yeah. early nineties. Did, did he work with Nine Inch Nails? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, not a great experience for him. Um, tons of issues. Script was changing constantly uh, as they were shooting. Um, kind of became a mishmash of scripts. To be honest with you, uh, elements from various drafts that had come before. Uh, with its own stuff in there. Um, what it does do, and this is where I was talking about with these two extremes, these two sides of the coin, is it does bring back Ripley. And and it doesn't just bring her back, she's the lead, right? So at this point, I think the studio had given up on any any thought of uh, let's try and do a Ripley-less alien movie. And they went the other direction. Uh, the issue with, I think, the execution of it in this one is Yes, they bring back Ripley, and yes, she's at the forefront, which, of course, I love. I love the Ripley character, and I like her in Alien 3, but they're like, 
they, for whatever reason, and I've heard that a lot of I've heard a lot of different names as being the ones. Resp- There's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of like this person was the one who made this, this decision. When you look at interviews and behind the scenes stuff, somebody decided or multiple people decided that uh, they wanted to wipe the cl- the 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 slate clean completely, mm-hmm. and they completely do away with Bishop Newt Hick like that. Anything from Aliens is kind of yeah, not fully Bishop, but close enough. Um, so they kind of they kill them during the opening credits. I mean, it's they're yeah they're dead. Um, which is the reason why, uh, as I mentioned before, I think you see so many different variations and versions of people in different mediums trying to create an Alien Three that undoes that or that. Uh, even re- even relatively recently, Neil Blomkamp was attached, loosely attached at least, to an Alien project that was straight up going to ignore Alien Three. Yep. It was going to be a direct sequel to Aliens, which there's not a lot. Like it's funny that like I can't think of another series off the top of my head where the majority of fandom would like to like just delete one movie out of the completely like. There's not that many like that. I don't know. Well, it's become... But you mentioned earlier, it has its defenders, too. And that's the interesting thing, right? The thing is, there was a time, and I don't know what the I don't know what the pulse is on this movie now, but I almost felt like with this movie, there was a time that it got... It got such a negative reaction from, the, from fandom, um, from just the general audience, that it kind of swung back another way where... People said it was underrated, and then it got to a point though where so many people said it was underrated, and they stuck up for it so much that I was like, "Okay, now it's overrated." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it swung too back, too far back the yep. other way because yep. there are legitimate issues with this movie, even divorced from the from the stuff you mentioned earlier, the Newt stuff. Yep, especially, but that's the stuff everybody points to, and that's the kind of the flashpoint that I remember too, because I think I saw this. Way down the line, honestly, I think I only saw I saw Alien, and then I it I was it was down the line when I saw the rest of the sequels. So I kind of I had an idea in my head of what I was going to watch, and then I watched it knowing what happened in Alien Three when I watched it for the first time. So you went in, you went into it with a full on yeah. This was not a movie yeah. I watched when okay. it came out. This okay. was a movie I watched down the road as I like like I watched the series for the first time. And so knowing what happened, it kind of softens the blow a little bit. So then you can sit there and go, okay, well, there are certain things that I like about this movie that I think it does well. Um, so I was I was almost in the Alien 3 is underrated camp until I watched it again a while back. And I'm like, there are, there's plenty of stuff I don't like in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, and now um, when we talk about the movie, we talk a little more. I just kind of don't like it. <laughs> sure, yeah. You're not necessarily like, uh, you don't hate it. Right, you're not like like spitting vitriol in its direction. You're just kind of like, it's not great. Like, yep. uh, okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, and I and for me, for years and years and years in my younger days, I guess, um, back when I used to be, not that I'm not passionate about this stuff. Obviously, I, I'm doing a podcast on it. I care, but back when it used to bother me at a, at a like on a real level, like like before my priorities in life kind of shifted in right. advance. Um, I hated Alien 3. Hated it. Yeah. Um, 
I and I remember seeing it on VHS when it came out at a friend's house, and I remember the opening crawl starting, and I was like, "All right, sweet, where it's Moody, I'm back in the Alien." I had no idea what the movie was about. I had no idea. I, I knew it was a, I knew Sigourney Weaver was in it. I knew she was bald. It's <laughs> yes. about all I knew. Everybody's very bald. Everybody's very bald. There's not a lot of hair. <laughs> um, and I I I will never forget like. Literally, after the opening credits, like you're like, oh, everybody, and I, I just remember like, there was no nothing the movie could do at that point to save itself for me. And that's I, I was think, done. I, I think that's one of the issues is like it gets off, it does that right away, and it's when you get off to that kind of a start and you and it's that negative a reaction to it. There's no saving it no. with you, and like you mentioned, yeah, yeah, someone that was a fan because you're a fan of Aliens, you're a big fan of Aliens. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Alien as well, but Aliens is like, like for me, that's like top. It, top 10 probably top five all-time movies for me i love aliens and it's perfect um and and i love those characters and i love the story so like to me that was like somebody like just spitting in the face of it and i i like now i'm i've cooled and i'm like it is what it is i mean it's they made the decision and they made the movie and it's all good but um yeah for years i hated it man i was like i liked resurrection more than i liked alien 3 I think just because I hated Alien Three so much. <laughs> where are you, where do you stand now on that? Uh, Alien Three is a better movie. Yeah, uh, it's a better movie. I think Resurrection has more entertaining stuff in it because it's just so batshit crazy. Yeah. Uh, like I think I would re rewatch Resurrection more because it's so stupid and ridiculous. <laughs> I wouldn't watch either one of them very often, but um, but I do think Alien Three is a better film and probably feels more like an Alien movie than Resurrection does. Yeah. Resurrection feels like an Alien versus Predator movie without the Predators. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Like tonally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay, I want to I want to kind of dive into this. So I want to talk about the character, go through the characters here. Okay. Um, and I will kind of specify when it's somebody who is strictly in either the Gibson story or the finished film story because I want to touch on some of those characters too even though they're not adaptations of each other I do want to touch on characters from both because I think there are I think there are negatives to the overall cast and ensemble of either and there are po- very very positive elements for the ensemble in either one so I want to touch on that a bit um, let's dig into let's, let's briefly and we kind of did already but let's talk about Rip, Ripley quickly here because I think it's okay. important that you know, we've already mentioned she's in one of the stories and basically not in the other story. Um, there's not a lot to say when it comes to Gibson's uh, depiction of Ripley because we don't get one, really. She's just kind of gone. So I think your mileage is going to vary depending on how you feel about that out of the gate. They do not kill her character, which I'm very grateful for. I think that would have been a, a real misstep. I think it would have done the the same thing that the finished Alien 3 did, but worse because we're even more attached, I think, to Ripley than uh, at this point. Than yeah, uh, Gibson has the good sense to know in his version of the story to send out those characters with a little bit of dignity, with a little bit of uh, like class. There's a class to it. Yeah, yeah there is. There is. It's, it's yeah. basically like that's not my story. Uh, that's not my story. These aren't my characters, but. I'm not going to use them in this. Uh, maybe it's because I can't or whatever. I was but told not here, to. I'm yeah. not going to just murder them. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and uh, we should mention uh, uh, she's alive when she's sent to, I think, oh gosh, she's sent to um, 
not to Earth. She's sent to another space station. Uh, is this the anchor she's point? sent from Anchor Point to uh, the station from Aliens, okay. which is a bigger... I don't remember the name, if I'm being honest, but there's a lot of fun sci-fi spaceship names and stuff. Um, so, yeah, not a lot going on there. But uh, in the finished Alien 3, I, I actually think uh, Sigourney Weaver's really pretty great in it. I think it's one of her better performances, even in the series, actually. It, it's. I still think Aliens is the is prime Ripley. Like that is like when I think of Ripley, I think of her in the Rebox with the flamethrower, like ready to right. throw down with the Queen Alien. That's Ripley in my head. Um, I think though. I think what's happened though too is, that, I mean, if Scorner Weaver was a very young actress when she started yep. out in the Alien series, but by 1992 she had been acting for 15. She was a vet, dude. She was a veteran. Yeah, like she's. She's very good now. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes, like, yes, yes. This is a this is a good performance because she is just really, really she's a, good. like top of her game. Yes. I mean, yeah. Um. And I love Sigourney. I think she's. I think she's really. Uh, this might be her best performance in the series. Honestly, um, like I said, quintessential Ripley is that image of her in Aliens, uh, with the flamethrower, but. Best Ripley performance very well could be three, and you're you got a Ripley who's dealing with uh, <laughs> who who is so that, let's just cover this ground real quick, right? She watched all of her friends and crewmates murdered by an alien, was frozen for decades in space, woke up to find out that her daughter got old and died while she was frozen in space. Within a matter of months of her being. Uh, woken up, she dives right back into Alienville again, <laughs> survives that dis- just absolute madness of aliens, right? Falls asleep in space again, and then wakes up surrounded by convicts on about the crummiest looking planet of all time, finds out that <laughs> her her surrogate daughter is now dead, um, and uh, uh, Hicks, who she had formed some sort of like... They... they I think they're probably too in the weeds to form a romantic relationship, but it seemed like there was at least like a connection there, right? So she'd be sad to see. One of the scripts follows them. One of those um, disregarded scripts follows them, kind of raising Newt. Newt, correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay. There is a version of the story that does that. That does follow that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that might even be too schmaltzy. I don't know. I'm not sure. Does Ripley get a happy ending? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this, well, this is, is that a character that? This is the weird, yeah. And I, I think this is maybe the weird thing about the Ripley character. And you bring it up when you say like, "Oh, this it just keeps happening." It's, it's basically it's Homer stepping on the rake constantly yeah. with her. Like it's just her turning into another alien at this point. Yeah, and <laughs> it's weird because, well, that first movie, she's definitely the main character. I. It's an alien movie, like it's a horror movie about an alien, and then Aliens kind of is more of an ensemble movie in some ways. And now we're back to Ripley again. Sure. So it is weird that this has the the series became her story in some ways. And it so, kind of is, yeah. And so maybe that's why I kind of like the Gibson approach better, which is to sure. follow two two characters from the second movie on, and onto another one. Because as you said, it's almost like, oh my god, this is happening to her again. <laughs> sure, I get that. Yeah, and and, and uh, yeah. it's the John McClane syndrome almost. Um, John McClane, even even Carpenter at Halloween too. As much as people don't like the Laurie Strode sister thing, there has yeah. there almost once it starts happening multiple times to the same person, there almost has to be a reason for it yeah, to continue to happen. <laughs> I guess that's what I mean. I totally that. get it. Um. But yeah, no, I think I think you and I both agree. Like 
Sigourney's performance is great, and uh, I'm not going to knock anything that she does as an actress in this movie. Um, And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, she works for me. And I think her her sacrifice at the end of the finished film uh, also works pretty well, um, all things considered. So I think it's a fitting fitting end for the character. Um, Sad. Depressing, but that whole movie is just drenched in depression. Right. So, I, it's a downer of a fucking movie. Uh, it, man. it never lets up never. on how bleak it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even, is. even the sex scene is kind of a. It's, it's kind of sad. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, two, it's two people that just have sex because they can. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they need to. Um, one last Ripley thing yeah, before for sure. we move on because I texted it to you too. What I've never really liked about this movie when it comes to Ripley is it, and you, you put it too, it does kind of feel like a what if. It feels almost like one of those later. Or Hellraiser scripts or something where it feels like this movie could have been made without Ripley in it. It's just yeah. like they had Sigourney Weaver and they said, "Okay, let's put Ripley in it." And I don't think that's the genesis of the movie. I think, but it well, she never feels as important to me as yeah. I know what you mean. Or no, it's just such a weird place for her to end up. I totally. It's, yeah, it's just on this prison. And I think that that's probably a, a byproduct of being a mishmash of unused elements from or you elements that were taken from different scripts and stuff well they went with a script basically that they were developing and then all of a sudden the studio it was a script from vincent ward vincent ward yep. yeah that they were developing and they were still kind of working on and then all of a sudden the studio and i think and Sigourney weaver was on board and they said we gotta let's we're going with what we've got yeah <laughs> we're going with what you have in development now and we're gonna make this movie yeah so go nuts and and that's part of the because they were writing this thing on the fly too well yeah so they they had an unfinished version where they took a lot of vincent ward's stuff which was uh ripley uh the lifeboat essentially crashing on a on a a very low uh, uh, kind of a they call it a wooden planet which really it was it was a, a mo- like a giant monk monastery type uh planet with a like religious uh, zealots and they were all bald. I think that's where that carries over from right. from that that version of the script. And uh, I that's I, the monks the monks wooden planet. Yes, is what it is. Yeah, 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 which is a cool idea. Um, <laughs> and you could do some cool visual stuff with the alien. I think in that setting, um, that script I uh, still kills uh, Newt and Hicks and Bishop in the crash. Yeah, so Ripley's the only survivor. That's something that was that carried script, over. That's from carried that. over. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that's where a lot of this stems from. Yes, is that Vincent Ward? Yeah, yeah. but but that's also like that's the script they had in production at the time. It was literally the exec saying, "You're shooting a movie now. No, we're not. (laughs) The time is we need we need this out by summer of such and such because we need the money. Yes, from the box office. So you take what you have and you make it happen. (laughs) There is almost they actually use sets from the wooden plant. Some of the prison sets in the finished movie are repurposed. Yeah, I always take the side of the creators and these creators versus commerce like business things. But then there is like with this movie, there's a side of me that almost takes the uh, I'm like, fed up with the shit, the production, yeah. the studio yeah. side. Where I'm like, hey guys, let's get a move on. We've been developing this thing for like five or six years. I'm tired of these artists. Let's <laughs> we go. Keep, yeah. we, we keep up. We passed out a William Gibson script. What are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm over it. Um. Anyway, so. Uh, that that kind of that covers that covers Ripley. Let's briefly touch on Newt, who is another character who is not terribly involved in Gibson's story. Certainly more involved. Uh, has some nice moments uh, with Hicks. 
uh, before she sent off to live with her grandparents in Utah, I believe. Was it? Is it Utah? And I think uh, in in, in uh, on Earth. Um, and while we're talking about that, just real quick, because I, yeah. I want to bring up the novel as much as I can too. In this, is I think the novel does a pretty good job with that stuff. I yes, thought, I thought that was some of the strongest stuff in the novel. The new, was Hick the new Hick stuff. It's really she good. Said, yeah, and it, I because I went oh. I really like this version of it, like way obviously way better than killing her and then ripping her open in an Ugh. autopsy. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so mean. But um, this kind of felt like a like an, almost like it worked as an apology for that. And that stuff isn't it's it's in the script, but I think the the novelization of the script handles it very well. Yeah, and and it it does remind me of funny enough the one thing that I feel like is. L- by and large, completely missing from the finished Alien 3. And one of my biggest issues with it now as a viewer, as opposed to being upset about story choices, what I still think is a major issue is there's like no, there is no humanity in Alien 3. It, it is cold all the way through. Yeah. There is no heart to Alien 3 whatsoever. There's at least heart to Alien and Aliens. And there's none of that in Alien 3, in my opinion. And some of that, uh, some of that is Fincher style, which I think, especially yeah. early on, but I think he softened over time in some ways. But it, it's also just his shooting style. His shooting style is very cold. The look of his movies it's can wet, be very and it's, wet and yeah. cold and gray and green. And all but Christ, of- even Seven, which is like one of the darkest films ever, period, like right. subject matter-wise, of all time. Like even Seven has some like levity every once in a while. Like, levity you know, and humanity. There's a to, humanity to it, yeah. Because even the religious uh, Charles S. Dutton in this, and, and um, I guess there's a little bit with Charles Dance's the, character. There's a little bit, and there's a little bit with Dutton. But even that stuff is, yeah. I think some of it is just the way the movie is cut. I watched the theatrical cut okay. this time around. I I didn't watch the, it's the assembly cut, right? Yeah, the work print I, or whatever it is. Yeah, I've yeah, yeah. watched that too, and it's longer, and it adds some stuff that, yeah. I just don't, I, I was sitting here going, I want to watch the version that came, that came out, out in, theaters, in 1992. Yeah. And that yeah. thing, it, I will give it this, it's brisk. Like, it moves for yeah. me. Like, it's under two hours and it's brisk. But I think that briskness kind of makes it feel a little bit colder as well. Yeah, too, you for don't sure. Spend for sure. With these guys. It's almost sweeping sweeping stuff under the rug and just moving on. Yeah, I gotcha. They, they do linger a bit on the Newt and Hick stuff in the assembly cut, which I appreciate because they at least give them a moment to, like, for you as a viewer to be like, okay, they're gone and that's sad. Now I can take a deep breath and kind of... Right. Yeah. You don't get any of that in the theatrical. It's like, mm. they're dead. Let's... Yeah, let's get a move on. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? I haven't watched the theatrical in years, but I remember it being like, just like it's almost one of those. Dead, let's go. Yeah, it's almost like one of those blink and you miss it. Miss it where like, especially if I were watching it in a theater and I did not have time to process things, I'm trying to watch. It, I'm like, wait, are they dead? Yeah, and then you know they're dead because then they do the autopsy. <laughs> they kill them in the meanest ways too. Like, they make sure to like close like. Beyond, even before the autopsy happens, like they show like a close-up of like Newt's like screaming face as she's drowning in her cryo. It's right. horrible. And then like Hicks is like head is exploded from a metal thing falling or something. Like there's a way to be mean and so also like fun. This one is just kind of mean. There's a way to be mean and funny, and Ridley does that in Alien Covenant. <laughs> yes, yes, he's mean and funny. Yeah, which weirdly enough takes some stuff. From the Gibson script, I think you there is make, a little bit, especially that second. There's yeah, a little bit. Yes. Um. All right. Let's get into uh, Hicks. Uh, we talked a bit about him already. Returning character from Aliens. Uh, kind of the co, the second. Uh, uh, in Aliens, the co-lead, I guess. Um, the only surviving Marine from Aliens. Um, always liked the character. A lot of charm to Michael Bean's performance. Uh, was always one to see him get killed off in the finished Alien 3. I think Hicks largely works for me in the Gibson story. Um, I wish there was more of him 
in the story. It feels like we leave him for large periods of time, and I want if he's going to be our new guy, like our lead for this this particular entry in the series, I'd like to kind of stay with him longer because um, I do think a lot of the, the supporting characters in this are thinly written and kind of not as exciting. I think you mentioned like zoning out, right? Like, And there is an element of that. Right. Um, certainly in the, the, in the novelized version, purely because novel, novels are longer and expanded and, and you get more um, of that. Uh, I like Hicks. I like Hicks's interaction. Hicks is fun because Hicks... Hicks is like... Hicks is a badass, and he can handle himself, but he's not a Hollywood badass. He like would rather be doing other stuff. There's an everyman quality. To it's, it. There yeah. is a John McClane type quality to him in the sense of how he like he's like, oh god, like I have to fight an alien again. Like, that I, sucks. <laughs> and I think Hicks works really well in the Gibson script because the a lot of what the Gibson script is. is concerned with in the novelization goes into it a little bit deeper too and it also gets kind of dry as well it's but it's about there's a lot of political fighting and a lot of corporations yes, fighting and it yes. is always interesting to watch an every man like hicks try to survive while these greater forces are just fighting each other over top of him well yeah. he's essentially a chess piece in a game of absurd uh I, Dick measuring, basically. Like, like yeah. I mean, it's yeah, and you've got your, and I do agree with you. It does get a little bit much, but like, you've got your, you got the whole like communism versus, uh, versus uh, democracy thing right. going on. That that stuff can be fun at times. Um, it, it gets a bit much later on. In the, I get kind of tired of it after a while, but I think it's a fun setup and it's nice world building at least for the alien universe because we didn't what get is it. the name. It's like the under- uh, the UPP is UPP. the Union of Progressive Peoples. That's right. like the, the, the communist or socialist group. Right. And then uh, basically, I, the military is in charge of like the. And I think the yeah. novel and, and Gibson Scripps does a, a pretty nice job of. I would say presenting uh, both sides with their flaws, their warts and all. <laughs> oh no, he thinks he thinks they're all idiots. <laughs> no, Gibson thinks everybody in power is insane. An idiot. And honestly, he might <laughs> no, not be wrong. And yeah, um, and that's where that's where the Hick stuff. Uh, that's where we bring it up. Is that's where the Hick stuff. Works yes, because he's just he's like an audience member. As as we, I love that. Yeah, as we sit and watch movies, and we and we and we just try to survive our day to day stuff. He's yes, they're just trying yes. to survive an alien. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I love that. And and uh, and. Uh, he's also caught up too when you when you there's a bit bit of this in there too of the um, the science element of it like like not so you've got these these on one level you've got these major uh, uh, political groups organizations that are battling it out then you've got the next layer which is like the corporate douches which are kind of represented by Fox and Wells in the um, yes. the Gibson script and they are fun. I yeah. love that. I love them. They're so sleazy. That's, They're very Paul Reiser in Aliens to me. Those are the characters where I think those side characters that stuck with me and the ones he sinks gets to sink his teeth into a little He's bit. Having and fun the with novel them. does. Yep. And they get they get killed horribly too. Like it's yeah. really good stuff. Like you feel pretty pretty happy at the end of it. Um, I believe uh, Fox is the Fox is the guy that the 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 male of the two. Uh, he gets killed by Wells after she goes full alien, if I recall correctly. So it's fun stuff. Um, so he gets to play off of that, and he gets tired of their BS. And then on on the next level under, you've got the scientists and the workers who are mindlessly carrying out the will of the corporate stooges. 
kind of for the thrill of the science, right? Yes. And, and he's annoyed with them, too. Hicks is like, <laughs> you guys are idiots. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's tired of it. I love I love Hicks in this. And it feels true to the character as he's, as he's presented in Aliens as well to me because there's a moment where, in Aliens, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie, and it's such a good, just kind of a nuanced bit from Michael Bean in the movie where um, Paul Reiser's chattering on about something uh, and he said, and he's, you know, blah, 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 so-and-so's in charge, yada, yada. And then Ripley goes, uh, actually, you know, wouldn't that make you in charge, Corporal? And she looks at Hicks and he goes, and he's so disappointed that somebody calls him out. He goes, yeah, I guess I am. Like, he's kind of like, yeah, I'm in charge now. And it, But that tells you everything you need to know about, know about that character. Like, he doesn't, he does not want to be. Like, right. Like, he'll do it, but he doesn't want to be. Um, and as far as the novelization goes, too, I think uh, Pat Gattigan, the the author, her yeah. voice tends to be at times a little bit more sardonic, a little bit, yeah. a little bit snarky, and I think her her voice kind of shines through in a lot of those scenes when she's writing it. She, she seems to gel with the yeah, yes, with that character. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, no. Um, the other thing I, I will mention and is kind of yeah, and kind of the negative outlook on everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily cynical, but just tired, fed up with it. Right. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will I want to mention too is uh, it gets it does get tired as the book goes on and I think it's overused. Yeah, Hicks flashing back to moments or lines from Aliens. Mm, thank you for bringing it's, this up. It's yeah. fun at times. It's it's I like the little callbacks. I like I like it better when it's him remembering things about characters from Aliens that we never saw in Aliens because these are Marines like Hudson or Vasquez or these other characters that we see in Aliens. We're only seeing a couple hours and one mission of their lives before they everything goes to hell. Hicks has memories of these people before that, you know. So I I like getting more just little moments and insights into those supporting characters from Aliens that we didn't get to see in that movie. It's kind of cool and it adds a little bit more to the characters and to the world and to the history of the Hicks character. What I don't love <laughs> is when you repeat like quotable moments from Aliens 14 times. Yeah. And sometimes the same line. Like I think like I think Take off and nuke him from orbit is mentioned like seventeen times in this book. It's too much. Yeah, I think this is an issue too with trying to pad a novel in some ways. Yeah, and, and trying to make yeah then almost even a little bit fan service. There's too. it's it's over fan service because I, but I think you want to have a little bit, especially dealing with the nature. Mentioning of, that once is fine. Yeah. I have no issue with it. I really it's don't. Funny. Yeah, it gets to be it's too over. much. It's over. It's, yeah, it's reaching for the hug a little bit too much. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's a little over eager. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, anything else on Hicks? I mean, I I like Hicks. I yes. I you know, no fans. Yeah, I should mention Hicks comes back in like every version of uh, a sequel to Alien. I won't call it Alien Three, but every version of a sequel to Aliens uh, that is not Alien Three. Right. I mean, they they definitely that seems like like that was determined to be the biggest issue is not bringing for whatever reason not bringing that character back as opposed to Newt. I, I think he's just like the easiest conduit though too into a third movie like we mentioned yeah. because of the the Ripley stuff like going like okay this has happened to her again I think mm-hmm. I think there's that you could and also if you're making especially something after the fact like you've mentioned a couple things like the video game I think is what you were yeah. referring to too. it's kind of an apology yeah an apology and also you you have to differentiate it from what we got in Alien 3 sure so yeah yeah um all right, I want to touch on well, Bishop of course our other returning character from Aliens he's uh, kind of in both Bishop is in both, so that's yeah. okay. Let's briefly, all right. Let's talk about the Gibson stuff first. He's very involved in the Gibson stuff. Um, 
he's you he's originally found by the UPP um and they pull a bunch of data from him and um are able to start experimenting with the xenomorph uh cell or the the bug whatever you want to call it um because of what they pull from him and then they send him back over to uh anchor point uh, as kind of a show of good faith, they've already done what they've done with them, and anchor the people at Anchor Point know this. Like they're not stupid; they're right. They, they know they've, he's been tampered with. But I, what I love about Bishop is Bishop is such a cool. <laughs> Bishop is like the perfect android character. Like he's honest to a fault, but he's not stupid. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like he is honest, and he will tell you what, how it is, and he's you know he's programmed in certain ways, certainly. But he's, he does have a conscience to a certain degree, and he does have a sense of right and wrong, and he does... You can almost see his gears turning and him learning and becoming not more human, but becoming more understanding of humanity as both aliens and this story continue on. You get to watch him learn a little. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, he gets to shoot some aliens, too, in, in the Gibson, yes. which is kind of fun. I love that because, like, I, I he mentions at one point, like, somebody mentions, like, you can't kill him because you can't kill living things. And he's like, well, technically it's a threat to all living things. So, yeah, I can, like, my programming allows me to. <laughs> it's so sweet. I'm like, yeah, get him, Bishop. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of fun that uh, a, a novelist like William Gibson would go that kind of action hero yeah. route with, with a cyborg. And for whatever reason, I'm not... I don't want to seem disappointed in Bishop in the Gibson script yeah. and the Cadigan novel. It's just they're both so she is a the novelist is a um cyberpunk author as well. Yeah. And I I guess I just expected maybe a different route to be taken. I expected to maybe go in a little bit more in depth into yeah. kind of what the nature of what it means to be but it doesn't a lot of no, it doesn't. no it's, really. and honestly like and I, as I think back I'm like oh that's cool like how many more of those movies do I need where I need to learn about the nature of robots yeah that's true that's true it's kind of fun I've to just have it be, be fun in Bishop yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no I, I Bishop is is fantastic in Aliens I love Lance Henriksen so um, and I think I think he he works pretty well here the, the big issue with with extending and I think you would agree on this extending that that first Gibson draft uh into a novel form I think extends to all the different subplots and characters we've got going on in that in that story in that a lot of it is spent just wandering around from point A to point mm. B hoping an alien doesn't show up like we got to get from point A to point B to press a button or to fix a wire, or to do this. It feels very video gamey, weirdly enough. Um, so they're experimenting on him. Is what's happening, right? Is that what they're Bishop? doing? Bishop, yeah. Or am I, am they're I trying to pull data that? from him. That's what it the is. UPPR. Okay. So they're trying to pull data from him to get an idea of what happened on LV four twenty six. Okay. And they do, and they get the data. But the the problem is Bishop doesn't know what they've tampered with, so Bishop doesn't even trust himself because he's like, at any time I could. Switch, flip a switch, and and you know he basically tells Hicks like you can't trust me because I don't know what they did to me, which I kind of love. Um, and it brings back that element of can we fully trust Bishop? Not to the degree that you did in Aliens. Aliens, I love that yeah. that Ripley's distrust of Bishop because of what happened with um, Ian Holm and in Alien, and the eventual, of course, 
reveal when Bishop flies in and saves them at the last moment and proves that he wasn't such a bad guy. Um, but in this one, they kind of try to sow that distrust a little bit too. Um, they didn't, weren't experimenting on him, but they were using his data to try and understand the alien better to perform experience experiments on the alien. On the Does alien. That, yeah, okay, yeah. that's okay. And that's... then they give him shitty legs because they're cheap. <laughs> Which is I I like that whole bit where he's like, is that stuff expanded on? And is that stuff expanded on in the Dark Horse, the second draft, or no? What am I getting this confused with? Um, <laughs> you don't know. It's fine. No, just, there's so many versions. Yeah, I mean, you mean like in terms of the bishop stuff? In terms of the experimentation on the aliens themselves, there's a lot of that in in the novel, um, right? And there's a lot a lot of it also in the, it's in all versions of the Gibson story for right. sure to okay. varying degrees. Uh, they are very much trying to perfect the alien to make it the ultimate soldier. That's what they're... Um, and this, it's, 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 once again, it's that tiered thing, right? So you've got your scientists who are taking orders from your corporate people who are just trying to make a buck by selling it to the government people. That's kind of how it works. I do, I do appreciate the cheesy B-moviness, the cheesy sci-fi B-moviness of... of uh, yeah, let's just make the ultimate weapon <laughs> because that's the go-to at all times. It's very Umbrella Corporation, isn't <laughs> so gotta, it? Got to make the ultimate weapon. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in in, bo- in all the versions of the Gibson story, it, it gets airborne and becomes more of a pathogen. Type. That's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is fine. Um, I lo- I do love the visual, the idea of a human and a xenomorph literally like tearing its way out of their skin. Right. I'm not sure how you make that work on screen if it were to ever hit the screen, but the xenomorph I mean, it's kind of sweet. The Nightmare on Elm Street part yeah. 2. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Um yeah, so Bishop's good. Uh in, in the finished Alien 3, he's got a uh, relatively small role. Um <laughs> another depressing st- role. He basically asks Ripley to kill him, which is really sad as yeah. he's gargling up milk. Um Oh, yeah, she finds them in a junkyard. I hate, that. I hate that so much. The milk stuff, oh, yeah. yeah so uh, and those weird like bead. They look. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not gonna say it. The weird like bead stringy things that come out of him that look like. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Cool. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Uh, You're not wrong, and I, I'm betting it's probably intentional. Too. Yeah, yeah, it could very well be. Um, but yeah, she finds like the half a bishop in the junkyard. It's really sad, and he's all beat up and broken, and he's like. He basically gives her the bad news, like, "Yeah, you're probably got an alien in you." And then he's like, "Can you kill me?" <laughs> it's really kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, like the rest of that movie. And then if that wasn't bad enough, he shows up again at the end. But it's not the bishop that it's Bishop Two. We know right? it's Bishop Two. I've never really understood who the hell this actually is supposed to be. No, this this it's stuff, super confusing. I cannot grasp this. No. Even on, like, I the think he mentions I like I I made Bishop. Or something that he's like, oh, I invented. Doesn't he say something like that at the end of the movie where he's like, no, I was the one who created Bishop or something. So are we supposed to get like he created Bishop in his image? He's the scientist who created Bishop in his image. (laughs) I think. But then Ripley hits him with like a fire, somebody hits him with a fire extinguisher and his ears like, remember that? Yeah. At the end of Alien so, 3, it's like dangling off, but he kind of acts like it's not that big of a deal. So you're like, wait, is he a robot? But then he's not so bleeding milk. Do you think so. he's a robot creating robots in his I image? Don't know. He's a robot who's playing God. <laughs> well, very David esque, right? <laughs> well, that's, yeah. That's you do the fingering, you know? <laughs> Ridley just obsessed. Shout out to my Covenant fans. Uh, yeah, Covenant. Ridley, uh, Ridley was just obsessed with various versions of Alien 3 that he just thrown into Covenant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he probably was. 
Love Ripley. Um, Ridley. Uh, it is both. very confusing that it's only one letter separate. It is, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so that's Bishop. Uh, love Bishop. Let's just... I, let's let's see if we can go through these characters and let, let's uh, see if I can remember any of them outside of the two from the novel you mentioned. <laughs> let's talk about the some more of the, the Gibson story characters. Uh, we got Tully. Tully is a younger, 20-something, I believe, scientist who is present when they first... Um, open up the lifeboat at Anchor Point. Okay. And they get, they wake up Hicks and uh, Ripley, and he's kind of the first person to survive an attack from an alien. Um, and eventually, sadly, he is like the first person, one of the first people to succumb to the airborne alien thing. What I like about the Tully situation is, um, I love that he meet, he agrees to meet with Hicks in the in the in the book. He agrees to meet up with Hicks. Because Hicks is like, you know more than what you're letting on. Like, you're going to meet me here, yada, yada. And and he agrees to meet with him. And he seems like he's a good guy. Um, and he's such a good dude. And, and there's not a lot to him, but there's, he's such a good dude that, like, he knows he's going to turn into an alien. And it's right. going to rip off his skin. So he, like, writes a note and says, like, sorry. And then, like, runs away to go hide somewhere not near people so that when he transforms, he'll be... I like that fate for him, that they just kind of find his clothes and his skin. <laughs> like He's the character, now that you mentioned it, he's the char- he's one of the characters that I zoned out while reading his early stuff. And then, I, now I remember with him, when it got to his, his final scene, I went, oh, this is all right, this is good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> solid. Yes. Um, his, I guess, I don't want to... I wouldn't say. Not, well, I mean, they, they. I think they sl- they sleep together. They wake up in bed next to each other. Spence is the other scientist who uh, actually winds up surviving the the whole ordeal alongside Hicks and Bishop. Um, she's yeah. She's the only non Hicks Bishop survivor, correct? Uh, I believe so. Yes, she's the only one to make it out with them um, all the way through the the events of the, of the story. Um, and that's good. Because then we could have followed her into Alien 4. Sure. Yeah. yeah, why not? She's fun. She's got a sassiness to her that I like. She does grow as a character. She becomes a bit more... Um, she feels almost like... At the beginning of this movie, she's very Ripley and Alien, and Alien, where she's just trying to survive. Right. Doing a good job of it, but just trying to survive. But by the end of this movie, she feels very much Alien's Ripley, where she's like... Uh, proactive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's some growth to her character. There's a, a yeah, there is arc. some. Yeah. There's an arc for her. So there is for there, sure. Yeah, and and there and Gibson does a decent job with the side characters of giving a couple of them at least, like her and I think even um yeah totally a little bit of uh, their arcs. Yes. So and that's that's kind of important to do is to try to make sure you can give as many characters as you get like an arc in a movie, especially when you're dealing with the kind of. It, this would have been kind of an ensemble like Aliens, yeah. In some ways, so there there is an element of that. I mean, I, I if you're really digging into it, I mean, the, the the Aliens characters are are very very cartoony and very. Uh, I mean, they're they're gung ho space marines. Like, right? If you if you if you want to criticize, it's certainly understandable. Like Vasquez is kind of a stereotype almost. Uh, a lot of those characters are even like a poem, like the drill sergeant, like the tough black drill sergeant. Right. Like it feels like kind of tropey, but th- they're done with like that movie. All those role, those those performances and stuff are are played very earnestly and very. 
in that's where the actors come in and that's where they bring exactly. their voice to the characters. It elevates what's yeah. yeah. It, it, that's kind of yeah, and that and uh, what's so good about the novel and the and the script reading them is and even watching the movie that came out after it is you see what. Uh, how important each aspect of yeah. filmmaking is when you follow these things from this to this to this. So, yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Um, we mentioned Fox and Wells earlier. There's not a lot more to say about them. They're the corporate stooges. They're very much, uh, they fill a similar role to like a Paul Reiser in Aliens with the exception of the fact that like Paul Reiser, you know he's skeevy, but you're always, until he really makes the move to purposefully sabotage the mission and kill Ripley, you're always hoping that maybe he's going to make the right decision, right? Right. There's always an element. You don't trust him, but you're hoping that maybe he's going to prove you wrong. With Fox and Wells, that's not there at all. They're, they're scummy right out of the gate. And so when they get theirs, it's fun to it's fun to watch. Um, it's fun to read, I guess. Um, Colonel Rossetti. Colonel Rossetti uh, is the... He's kind of the the representation of the military on anchor point. <laughs> yeah. He is like the, the vet. He's the, he's a tough as nails, you know, started off as a grunt, tough guy, wartime guy who now sits behind a desk and barks orders and has gotten a bit soft in his years. And I do love the, he is a, he's a kind of a big, he's a dick and he, he becomes kind of a, a sniveling wuss as the, the story progresses and things escalate and uh, he finds himself in more danger. What I like about the relationship uh, between him and Hicks is Hicks, I, I should say, uh, characters like Spence, uh, she's a scientist, She's uh, she grows very strong by the end of the story. She has no patience for Rosetti. And uh, it's probably because there's that divide between the science... The, the science folk on board of Anchor Point and the military folk. There's got to be a a bit of a cultural divide there between the two of them. I can imagine that being a thing, right? What I like about Hicks is Hicks is tired of Rossetti's bullshit too, and he's he kind of tells him, and I think he hits him once or twice, like, stop. Yeah. Um, but Hicks always has sympathy for him because Hicks has lived the military life, and he's like, yeah, this is... Like, I... I he feels for the guy because he's like this guy's. He relates to him in a There's certain sympathy way. There's sympathy there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only, I like all that. The only thing I want to bring up with Rosetti is for some reason, uh, his character in the graphic novel reminded me of George Romero. <laughs> he kind of looks. Like oh yeah! <laughs> wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I think it's just the hair. I yeah I I have I have not read all the way through. I've seen like bits and pieces of the graphic novel. It's incredibly hard to get now. Is it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if. Marvel will reprint it. It was the last Dark Horse, I think, Alien comic that came out, which is interesting. Um, for fa- for people who are interested in undone, uh, unmade versions of things, uh, Dark Horse also released a uh, comic version of Star Beast, which is the original script for Alien, uh, which has different characters and kind of a different outcome and a different Alien before Guy Giger was involved. Did they uh, do anything with the the uh, toy script, the Twee script, the Twee script. Yeah. Not yet. I'm not, I'm not sure. Not yet. Uh, who knows, man? These books did well. These this stuff is doing well. This yeah. Kind of. Um, I I like stuff. Which like, one would you like to see the most? Beyond the, the Gibson one. Yeah. That's tough, man. Um, because you're you're an alien fan. I am less. I like the movies, yeah, but you are a fan. I don't know that. 
I don't love any of the Alien 3 scripts on their own. I think there's elements from each that I th- I think work really well. What about the Blomkamp one? I would... Oh. I, look, I, I recognize that Neil Blomkamp perhaps has some issues creatively, or I don't know if he doesn't work well with studios or what, um, but... I think there is talent in Neil Blomkamp and with the right people kind of reining him in, maybe a studio reining him in a bit on a, on a known property. I think, dude, that concept art from that Blomkamp project was so, that's what I want to see. Yeah. I want to see like older Sigourney and old ass Michael Bean whooping and just yeah. kicking alien ass <laughs> one last time. Uh, it looked really cool. Anyway. Um, All right. Shall we move on? To that's the what I would want. What about you? You want the Tui script, right? You want Tui? Uh, I don't know. Well, of course, because yeah, yeah he's Tui, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know much. I, I no, I want the wood one. I want I want to see the wood wooden one. planet. Yeah, the wooden planet one, the one that yeah, the Walter Hill saw the director's movie at a film festival and just thought it was weird as hell. And thought oh, perfect, perfect. I love old Walter. Walter rules. <laughs> what a wacko. Um, last character from the from the from the um. Gibson story I want to talk about is Walker. Walker is uh, kind of becomes a buddy of Hicks's, uh, working uh, I guess on the docks for lack of a better like like in the cargo holds with the power loaders and stuff. Uh, he's like I think he's the only uh, black character that we have in the story. Um, I think in the certain. graphic novel Spence is. is Spence Black. Okay, I cool, believe cool. in yeah, I believe, but I, I don't, don't think in the book she is. Just dis- not that I don't think I can't remember. I don't. I don't even know if they go. Do they go deep into descriptions? No, them? Walker definitely they mentions a black guy. Okay, um, but he's uh he's cool. He's got he got a cool. I don't know. He like drives around in a cool golf golf cart thing, and like I want him to stick around longer. Yeah. I, it's but it's a bummer that he gets killed off in the bar. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, he, he goes early, right? Kind of, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh man, this guy's kind of fun. Um, so anyway, pour one out for Walker. Um, very briefly, let's go through some Alien Three characters in the finished the movie. movie. Yeah. Um, the only ones that make any sort of impact on me because it is a bunch of bald, screaming, mostly white British men. That's very. a. That's. <laughs> Sometimes tough to keep track of who some Dude, of these guys when, are. <laughs> when Fincher is sh- when Fincher is shooting them running through those tunnels, I well no, you watched the theatrical. I did. All right, there's a sequence in the assembly cut where they're trying to trap the alien. Okay, in like behind like some sort of door or something, <clears throat> and they're successful, but they spend like ten minutes of screen time running around these weirdly lit tunnels in like this weird blurry like music video-y looking like camera work like I can't tell who anybody is like yeah. half half the bald guys get killed during that sequence and I can't tell you which ones I think Pete Postlewaite which by the way is like the biggest waste of talent ever that he's some random guy in this movie yes what I rem- a bummer <laughs> Because, yeah, the first time I seen him, I was like, oh, my God, it's Pete Postlewaite. <laughs> but then he's gone. <laughs> he's incredible, and then he's yeah. like, like, I don't even know the character's name. Anyway. I also was excited <laughs> because he's one of the only few people I could differentiate. Because like, he's Pete Postlewaite, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, the only characters I want to bring up, uh, Andrews, he is kind of the prison warden. He screams a lot in this movie. Uh, he gets yanked up through the, heat, through the duct work and killed. But uh, I don't know. He's a very angry British man. He mm-hmm. seems like a bit of a soccer hooligan, I guess. I like him. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we have Gallic, who is not featured very much, by the way, in the theatrical cut. I believe, in fact, that he just literally disappears. He's never killed in the theatrical cut, but he never pops up again. Yeah. Um, Gallic is the the nut is played by Paul McGann, who I love. Paul McGann is a wonderful, wonderful uh, British actor. Um, played Doctor Who for a while, and also is probably best known for With Nail and I, which is a wonderful film um, uh, with Richard E. Grant. It, it rules. Check it out. It's awesome. But anyway, Paul McGann plays Gallic. Gallic is the the guy who's kind of crazy, who's like strapped to the hospital bed for part of the movie. You recall this from the theatrical cut? Yeah. Yeah. Does he die in the theatrical cut? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Nothing happens to him, right? <laughs> There's a huge subplot in the assembly cut where Gallic uh, kills a couple of fellow inmates breaks free from his restraints, kills a couple of fellow inmates, believes that the alien is uh, an angel or some sort of like heavenly creature and goes down to the basement and frees it after they've caught... Because they, they catch the alien. Like, yeah. the problem is solved. And, like, the company's on its way to pick up... Like, everything's done. And then Gallic frees the alien because he thinks it's some sort of, like, emissary from heaven. Yeah. And that stuff is all pretty sweet, actually. Well, like, that that stuff ties into stuff that's kind of brushed aside in the theatrical. Some cut of that religious stuff, the religious yes. stuff that the theatrical cut is so brisk that it just keeps moving past. And Charles S. Dutton gets a little bit of time with a little it. bit, yeah. But it's all about uh, uh, the the longer cut, and it seems like maybe the more interesting cut, yeah. too, is it deals with these people that are at the end of the rope that have gone to prison and are now finding religion because they know that like this is what they have to look forward to the rest of their life they better yes. they better they better get god basically yep, yep. yep. and i and i uh i like that subplot from the the assembly cut that's probably the biggest the most noticeable change and the most welcome addition i guess um let's talk about uh uh charles s dutton uh plays dylan probably my favorite char- character of the new uh, favorite non Ripley character, I guess, from Alien Three. Uh, I like Dutton. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he's uh, brilliant, yeah. in, like everything he does. Like, yeah, I, he's always a welcome sight. Rudy um, Menace Society. He's also uh, on one of my old ideas. For whatever reason, popped up in my head before I even watched this Rock, which was an old Fox TV show that, for some reason, it was about Charles S. Dutton in the '90s, just being like a like a like a man a man about that or whatever. But like it was it was that rules. Really, it was great. <laughs> it was yeah, Dutton Sweet. I loved I loved uh, Rock. But anyway, Dutton Sweet. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, uh, sadly, of course, like like I think almost everybody except for some random inmate who survives this movie for some unknown reason. Um, how weird is that, by the way? That some random guy that I can I can't differentiate from anybody else lives through this movie. Yeah, I'm like what? Uh, but sadly, Dutton doesn't make it through. Dylan doesn't make it out. He's got some of the best his his speech to the prisoners when he's trying to get them fired up to go fight the alien. He's basically like, well, yeah, we're gonna die. Yeah, but we don't want the these corporate dickheads to get their hands on this thing so let's at least die by killing it like let's make sure that they don't get it i love that stuff yeah it's almost their mission now yeah it's their mission it's, it's their like godly their, their, mission. their so, godly mission yeah, yeah it's sweet <laughs> dutton rules yeah uh he just, i wanted more of a grand finish for dutton though he kind of just goes out right is, i mean he's fighting the alien physically fighting it which is pretty sweet but like i don't know i needed more i wanted more uh, um, ripley gets the gets the big yeah, yeah the big of course as she should um, Clemens, the last character I want to talk about, uh, the the great Charles Charles Dance, Dance. Yeah. another great Charles, love the man, um, fantastic actor, always welcome to see him as well, um, especially in in Dracula Untold, one of the great performances. 
um, of all time. You recall that one? <laughs> yes. I did. We go see that together. Was that we you did. and I of in the we did. together? Yeah. Yeah, that was the best. Um, Charles Dance. I believe the first time I saw this movie, uh, I mentioned earlier it had lost me right with the opening credits. So once Charles Dance starts to get a little bit more involved after Ripley kind of wakes up and gets her bearings and, and is able to, I guess, mourn Hicks and Newt a bit, there's a little bit of that, there's like a romantic tension, which feels a little, it feels a little forced. I, I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was like a studio thing. That feels more like a Sigourney thing to me. I like to think it was a Sigourney thing, like, hey, I want Ripley to get laid in this movie. Like, I feel like that was a Sigourney, that seems like a Sigourney move, like, Ripley needs to get laid. Yeah. Like, I'm tired of this. Um, cause I don't think she would have agreed for that if that was a studio, like a Walter Hill mandate, like yeah, sex scene. I don't know. I think it'd be right. It, it almost works. In I'm a, fine with it. Yeah. It does. It works in a way of where these characters are facing certain doom <laughs> in some ways. And they're just like, I gotta, I gotta get one. It's like the plane crashing. Like, yeah, you, totally. <laughs> yeah, they, and, and I think they both know that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it works for me in that way. The Charles, yeah, Charles Dance's character. I like the character. They they add some backstory to him, kind of a tragic backstory, but it's almost weird that the, the backstory to me is kind of soft in a way because it, it I don't necessarily think it lets him off the hook for the bad thing he like he comes in his backstory is he comes in drunk right or he comes in kind of drunk or high i can't remember exactly what it is and, and an accident has occurred and he's he's trying to save, but he's too drunk to save and like 30 something people die and it's it's due to him but it's not like he's in jail for like murdering a bunch of people like he's yeah. just he got he got called in he was drunk on the job and so, so i know I what you're saying yeah, yeah it feels I, a little bit less yeah, yeah i get it um, I get it. That's why they sent him to this prison planet. <laughs> that didn't bother me as much, but I understand exactly where you're coming from. Totally. Like, it, it is a... They make him... Like, these are hardened criminals here, and right. I just got this guy. He was like, eh, kind of goofed. <laughs> Not kind of <laughs> goofed. Really goofed. No, they think about it. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty, it's 36 people did die. He probably killed more people than, than <laughs> the actual murderers. Um, <laughs> He's killed more people than the aliens. Yeah, I think so. Um... Yeah, we'd have to. We'd have Never to, mind. I take it all back. I'll go back and edit out my uh, dance. Deserves to be there. Yeah. Um, but no, I. Uh, but what I love about it, much like everything else that uh, uh, the creative forces and Fincher do with this movie, is <laughs> as soon as I like Charles Dance and start to go, okay, I can get behind this guy. They just kill him, yeah. like, unceremoniously kill him too. Yeah, nothing is sacred in in Alien Three. Um, but I do love Charles Dance. So, all right, Tim. Uh, we made it through the characters, right? Yes. Okay. Two very, very different versions of a sequel to Aliens slash Alien. Um, well, there's about a billion different ver- different versions. Uh, do we want to touch on any of those before we uh, talk about? Which... We've yeah, we've kind yeah. of mentioned the the wood, the Vincent Ward script, the Vincent the Ward script. Planet. We can yep. go through, I guess, some of these real. Sure, quick. yeah. Anything that you want to touch on, I'm, I'm, you know, there's so many versions of Alien Three. Well, but... Cameron had ideas about the sequel. I don't, sure, none of them ever came to fruition, but he was the one that kind of came up. And this sounds like something Cameron would do, but kind of um, came up with the idea of the three of them kind of forming a family, a family. Two yeah, afterwards. so he's. Evidently, he he put it. There was a shot that was in Aliens of the three of them. It's just the three of them in the shot, kind of huddled together after the face huggers have been trying to attack 
Ripley and Newt, and and apparently he told some of the actors like that was that's the family shot. That's the that's where we're gonna go if we're able to do more, you know, more of this stuff. So that seems like, and that seems like a very Cameron thing to do. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. No, that that seems like uh, you know, especially yeah, it's, in line with his sensibilities. Time. Yeah. And then before Alien Three was released, <laughs> there was a teaser trailer that was like an alien hovering over Earth. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did, did <laughs> explain the teaser trailer to me. They were so desperate to get this thing going or get the hype building for this thing. They put out a teaser trailer in theaters that was, on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. And I believe this was put out at the time when Chewie's script was being considered it might have been two yeah i think it was twoies or eric red i can't remember one of the one of the scripts takes place on an earth like it's not even t- none of them take place on earth that i'm i'm aware of right um one of them takes place on on a farm that is supposed to be like a synthetic earth or like a like a um a replica of what a farm would be on earth so i guess that's kind of earthy um but they put this is a trailer like a teaser that was like played before movies and right. stuff and like and then that had nothing to do with the finish which is so funny to me like that 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 sums up that would never happen today right like I'm you would never put it, to, you no, would never, never put out a teaser for something i'm trying to even think of the last time i saw like a basic teaser like that the you last time i saw anything games all the time but video games yes but for major movies the only comparable thing I can think of from the last decade this is the only thing I can think of is when DC and Warner Brothers put out that weird, crazy release schedule for movies that was like 12 years worth of movies like Green Lantern's coming out in right. 20 blah 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 like and then like you half could, of that didn't happen yeah. but that you can I mean the the dark universe as well but oh that's a that, good one too that will go down in history that photo, that magazine shoot of that, the, that magazine shoot is what I'm thinking of but that's just stuff they didn't like like ancillary stuff that's not in promotional theater. like even like a disconnected thing like the most recent trailer I can think of was like 20 years ago now which is that Spider-Man Two Towers uh, Twin Towers trailer and that was only pulled because pulled because but that's not stuff from the movie that no. was kind of like a concept trailer right, in some way so right, right. That's the only they don't really th- do those anymore they don't do those anymore probably and for like a an, reason they don't do announcement trailers anymore no but, well and then ha- a lot of the times they're at the end of like Marvel kind of does them in some ways but they're at the end of the movies or like they'll just say Stingers they will, or whatever yeah. they will the old James Bond will return yeah in, yeah, 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 yeah in Moonraker or something so isn't that funny though? What about the Eric Red? Eric Red, he was the writer of The Hitcher in Near Dark. What yes. do you know anything about the Eric Red script? Because this is the one that Sigourney Weaver called like a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I don't know. You know I, I, I will touch on the Eric Red one. Uh, so this was this was written in eighty nine, so this is post everything it technically is post Gibson, but this was written in eighty nine, so this is the one I believe I wanna say this is directly after Gibson. Yes. Right after his second draft. Um. By the way, Love Near Dark. If uh, our other show, our sister show that Tim and I do, Horror Movie Yearbook, we've talked about Near Dark, and it's wonderful. Um. This one is everybody dies, including Ripley, at the beginning of the film. There's no returning characters whatsoever. Um. There is a bloody Ripley name tag found aboard the Sulaco, and that's the only mention of anybody from Aliens we get. So is it even worse? That's an even bigger like face slap. Um. 
This is the one with the U.S. settlement, like the the farm. This is community. the farming one. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. and it winds up ending with like the because sp- you know, like in the, in the previous Alien movies, like the the alien goo or resin or whatever kind of grows in the walls and stuff, and kind of like you can't tell what's like um, what's industrial and what's like uh, biological. They take that a step further and they make the alien xenomorph merge with the space station. So at the end of the movie, there's like a, a script rather. There's a giant mech xenomorph running around it's not it's not good it's not good <laughs> and we've mentioned the toy script a couple times and this is the one that is the it's like a prison a prison space station correct a facility that's orbiting earth yes so the, this one you could almost uh you almost could have gotten away with that uh trailer of the of the alien co- uh, earth no yeah you, for, you almost because it's close enough but so this is the one so we're getting closer to the final version here. So this borrowed a little yes. bit, right? This is this is. Have, the, are you familiar with this script? I've read this one. This okay. one does bring back or bring in the. This is the first iteration of the prison thing, which would we would see. Uh, I don't think anything was pulled from either Gibson or uh, the barcodes. I think are in a get one of the Gibson drafts. Uh, the barcodes on the people's necks or whatever, which it carries over to the finished movie, strangely enough. That's like the only Gibson thing I think that carries over is that touch of having barcodes on people. Um, nothing, I believe, from the Eric Red script carries over that I can recall. Uh, the Tui script is the prison thing, right? So that that's the element that they borrow from that. It's so funny how they hodgepodge so many yeah. things. Yeah, which I think can work sometimes. Not this time. Um, Tui's... Also kills everybody from Aliens, including Ripley. Um, there's a random picture of Ripley on a computer screen at one point in the script, and it says that she died, and that's that's it. Um, although I'm reading this, and it says that Tui says that he claims that he turned in a different draft that featured Ripley, but who knows? Right? Who knows? Um, this one's on another space station. Uh, it's 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 death row inmates. Um, uh, it's xenomorphs running amok and and killing prisoners. It's it's not terribly dissimilar from Alien Three, minus all the Ripley stuff, which is kind of the meat of that movie anyway. Um, this one, Vincent Ward was. Uh, this is where Vincent Ward jumped on, because he was going to direct the Tui script. Yes. Um, and then. Did not like the Tui script. <laughs> let me so. let me explain, Vincent uh, Vincent Ward. Right? Yes, please. Yes. So Vincent Ward, uh, we mentioned him, and I'll I'll tell the story of what happened, how he was brought aboard. He was he did, he made a movie called The Navigator, which is all about medieval and for, folklore and stuff, and it screened at Cannes, and Walter Hill was at Cannes, and he watched it. I as a kite. I I don't know. This but. is the. Uh, he was high on film. He was high. I wasn't uh, there. At the but. very least. And he goes, he watched this movie about medieval imagery and folklore. And he goes, this is the director I need for Aliens. This is Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought him aboard. And like you mentioned, he, he came up, he then came up with his own script, which was about a group of monks that were on a wooden planet living yeah. a simple life. <laughs> and Ripley comes barreling in and crashes and brings an alien <laughs> with him. So these, so these bucks. This is my favorite, but not because I think it would have been good, just because it's so bizarre. So it's Ripley and these monks trying to survive this alien attack. Correct. Yes, and this is where we get some of the we get a lot of the elements that wound up in the final um, Alien Three. Oddly enough, transfer out monks for 
prison inmates from the previous draft. Um, but we get a lot of the sexual tension and stuff like that from the monks. Yes. It's not as violent as the finished Alien 3 with the prisoners, but there's that's kind of the the beginning of that idea being explored. There's an interesting idea, too, with because she's the only female, and I th- this is something that I think Alien 3 does well, like, she is always in fear for her safety, for her well-being, just by existing around these people. Yeah. Like, because she could be attacked. And I think that's very cool. Yes. I don't... You know what? I think it is developed enough in the finished film. I'll give yeah, the finished film that. Yeah, it I, is. It like, is yeah. developed. The attack on her is actually quite startling and, and scarier than a lot of the alien stuff yes. that happens in the movie. I think so. that stuff is handled pretty well. It, it is yeah. handled. I, I will give Alien 3 that 100%. Yep. Um... Yeah, and then, I mean, in terms of, like, famous versions of this script, uh, once Ward was off, um, Fincher jumped on as as the next in line to direct yeah. the film. Um, I know Walter Hill worked on the script. He took a pass, like, before the movie, like, really went into production, I believe. I think Because yep. they were trying to essentially sa- salvage it at this point, and I don't yes. think any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, Fincher, I think, worked a little bit on the script as well. Well, he was on set, basically. Uh, Fox, do you know how much money they spent on just the writing of the movie before the movie even started production? A lot. Uh, $13 million <laughs> on the writing of the movie. Yeah. Holy hell. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> anyway. Um, man, uh, I I feel like I, I this is a nice catharsis for me. I. I will talk about Alien Three forever. I, yeah. I I will because I just um I've gone from hating it to accepting it is as what it is to now wanting to kind of study it and understand wh- how and why this happened. It's a it's an excellent example, and I think we've touched on it. Uh, how a movie can get lost in pre production <laughs> for sure. And I think yeah. even though maybe we didn't stick to the original goal of the podcast i think we have in some ways and i also think it is an, an interest how how a movie can differ in these different mediums and how it's presented and yeah how a script is sure. different from a novel and how it ends up in a different film and how all of these different factors come can come into play when yeah. you're working with one single creative thing so. absolutely absolutely um Awesome, awesome. Anything else? Are we- so, oh, should we pick our favorite version of what we've talked about, or I think what we, we would have should, what we would have liked to have seen? Well, the, let's just so the the main two that we talked about are the the finished Alien Three, as directed by David Fincher, and of course William Gibson's story or version of the story. Right. Uh, these are both versions of what a sequel to Aliens would be, right? My question I want to pose to you isn't necessarily which one is better. Do you think Gibson's story... If you could erase... I'm just throwing this out there. If if it took del- deleting the finished Alien 3 from existence for you to see a big screen version of Gibson's story, would you would you take that exchange yes. or gamble. Yeah, and here's why. I don't even know if it's so much because of Alien 3 sure. as much as what came after it because so essentially what's happening is if I stick with Alien 3 that means I'm also getting everything that came after Alien 3. Sure. True. And while I like I like Covenant, 
I don't really like much else that came after Alien Three. No, now at this at this juncture in the, in the franchise, and I know some people will probably disagree, and that's fine. In my opinion, it's it is now a franchise that has way significantly more bad entries than good. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the question that I I would rather see that because I actually think I would have from what I know of that second version, that second draft of Gibson's. Which I, you should read. I think you'd like it. Yeah, I think I would like that, and I think I would like that if that would have been closer to what the finished product project product. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, would yeah. have been. So I think the trade off there is, I think you get a better movie. I think you get a movie that satisfies. I think you get a better movie, and you get a movie that satisfies the fans. Yeah. And I don't think the perception is as toxic and as negative as it was at the time. <clears throat> and I think maybe from there on, I don't know if you get better sequels, but at least I'm. But you getting, can set up the universe to. Yeah, it seems you're setting up a universe. You're you're building a world. You're you're getting back a little bit to. That's one of the big missteps for me for Alien Three is I think the Gibson job, the Gibson version of the story does a much better job of diving into that world as a whole even though it's not his world that he's created i think he expands, he expands on it yeah he expands on it where i don't think alien 3 does a ton of that not at least not to my it's, it's a prison planet and it's yeah. just kind of it's kind of alien on a prison planet and yeah. there are touches of it in there but it's not enough for me and not a lot of world building. No, it's not a lot of world building. It's not what I want to see in a third movie because that's the thing. <laughs> I think we're getting it. We're in the third movie. We need to keep expanding, and we need you to keep do learning. to a certain extent. You yeah, have to keep yeah. learning about. I yeah, I don't really want to go back to. But I think you can go back to basics in terms of your approach to the story, but also, and I think I think Gibson's second draft more so does that right for me because it does it does not include Ripley, like the first draft, but. It takes it back to that the roots of the. Uh, it's not a big, big, giant, crazy action movie like Aliens was because I don't. Th- I think trying to outdo that, you're making a mistake as well. I think. At, I think it, it is smart to take it back to smaller cast, uh, smaller scale in terms For of sure. the aliens and stuff like that. Um, but so, yeah. they still are able to incorporate things like the UPP and some of that world building and some of that universe kind of expansion. Yeah. So yeah, my rambling answer to sum it up is yes. You would. I would. Okay. I, would I would take that trade, and it's not just because that. It's because I'm not particularly attached to anything that came after Alien Three in response to Alien Three. So no. maybe some people may be different because maybe some people love the games that came in response sure. or some of the comics. I haven't read. But if you could rewrite played. history, you'd be like, you know what? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Cool. Um, I think I agree. Um, not for the reasons I thought. If you'd asked me, you know. A decade ago, fifteen years ago, I probably would have answered the same, but for different reasons. I, I I would have answered it out of anger for for the finished product that is Alien Three. That's not the case anymore. For me now, I just think it would have. I'm like you. I think it would have, even if Gibson's version of the story isn't perfect, and I don't think it is. I think I don't think it's a perfect. Well, the ver the adaptations we've had don't show me a perfect finished, but because it's not a finished product, it's not a finished film. Um, I think the right director behind it would also add a lot to it and make it uh, a movie, a cinema, a piece of cinema. A, a, you know, and I wonder who they could. Like, God, I'm trying to think of directors that would be interesting for. I know Rennie Harlan was attached. He is such a well, such an odd duck. But back then, it might but not you know have been what, a bad, early Rennie Harlan. Pretty may sweet. Have, yeah, yeah, with a good script. Yeah, may have worked. He wasn't interested in the script, but could have been interesting. Right. Anyway. Um, 
Yeah, I would. I would because I I, I think that um. I do think there is. I think Alien Three is a very interesting movie, but I think that as a whole, it did more damage to the Alien universe than than it did good for sure. And I think that uh, I do think there's still. I don't think the Alien as a, Alien as a series or as a as a whatever franchise or whatever. I don't think it's dead. I think that you can still. I don't think it's far off <laughs> from dead. You think TV, because they're making a TV show, right? Noah Hawley's doing a show. I think that might be the best ad. This may be I, the way to get things back on track. I kind of think for some of these franchises that maybe aren't, I don't want to call, I don't want to say dead either, but maybe aren't, they're getting a little long in the tooth. Maybe it's time to transition them over to TV. I, and I've said the same thing, and I think about a series that is even, in my opinion, in kind of worse shape even, Terminator, another one. I don't want to see another Terminator movie. I'm right. done. I I don't. I could. I I actually haven't watched the last two, so I clearly don't want to see another Terminator movie. I'm over it. A show. I know. And I know they've done a show before. I know that that's Sarah Connor Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah. I've heard great things. I don't. I've never watched. It. I probably won't. It was decent. But, I yeah. I wasn't crazy about it. But it was decent. Yeah. yeah. I think TV is a great spot. Maybe for the, if you really feel the need to keep Terminator as a franchise going, which I'm sure they do, and I get it. Uh, that's probably your best avenue. Well, it's similar. Point. The Alien comics, I, I haven't read the most recent Marvel series. Has that been pretty well received, too? I think so. I I've, have not read it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard I know, good things. I know a lot of people are bitter about the fact that Dark Horse and Alien was a very... Oh, when yeah, I think yeah. of Dark Horse comics, I think of Aliens. Right. It's a weird kind of... I get that, yeah. So I think a lot of people were very apprehensive and maybe a little bit kind of annoyed and angry that now Marvel was doing Alien comics. But I have heard mostly good things about it. So, but I mean, it's similar. Uh, TV and comics, and and books too. I think uh, have become very similar in some ways, and especially when you, because as yeah. I approach these Disney Plus shows, I think of them as graphic novels. Even the Star Wars stuff, I think of like like a, a six issue. This is a Boba Fett graphic novel. This is a Hawkeye graphic novel. Yeah. This is like a, this is a six issue miniseries. Yeah. Is what I'm reading sure. here, and I'm not sure if that's not the approach to take for some of these older franchises because the, you can kind of you can explore different parts of the universe there. And there are really really cool corners of alien as you said from those dark horse comics some really cool like dark horse one shots or just like three issue oddball miniseries that are either maybe more action oriented or more um you know political company uh, malfeasance oriented or horror oriented that they could draw on some of those if not directly draw on those stories necessarily elements from the stories kind of look at those as like, oh, okay, we could kind of head this direction. for. I think you could do a lot with it. I think you could. I think it's a universe that has potential for for a resurgence. Um, and I mean, I, I think Covenant's a ton of fun. Do I think it, it you know, it, nothing that Ridley was doing with those those prequel movies was going to bring that franchise back. Rick, mm-hmm. I, I, I love Covenant, but no, me too. But but Covenant just fe- I have fun with Covenant because it feels like Counselor Ridley. The Covenant's co- not not a great movie, right? But I have fun with it, it because feel- it's so mean. It's 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 the Counselor version of Ridley Scott yeah. messing around in the Alien universe. I like it because it is kind of for that reason. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it feels like Ridley kind of letting loose a little. It's real bit. grouchy. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think that was. I think we covered it. That right? about wraps it up. Uh, yeah. Don't forget before we jump into our, um, our I guess reveal of what we're doing next. Uh, don't forget to shoot us an email. Any ideas you have for episodes? Um, I don't think I don't. Have we? I don't know that we've got. We've gotten a couple in the Discord. We have received some in the yeah. Discord. Okay, good, good. We should do one at some point just so we're not. Because um, we, uh, we, we did have a request for Annihilation at some point. And I would like to get around to that, but every time we think of doing it, we, uh, I'm like, I don't want to read another book right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> another, or See, I want to read something. What's funny is, I think it's so funny because you are a more, you are no question a more avid reader than I am. And I think it's just because you naturally are. And because maybe you uh, maybe like you don't have a kid running around distracting you every five pages, uh, so there's that. But it's funny to me that you are always more hesitant to read books, and I than I am with the show. But I totally get it because you're reading so much normally that like, and I'm not. So I'm this like, is, yeah, I guess I'll read a book. This like, is anxiety related too, though, because like what happens is I will I will read the book for the podcast. And then I will read another book, and you'll or, forget. Or another, or I'll read a bunch of other stuff, and then I'll be like, "What oh, the shit. hell yeah. happened?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, then yeah. I've got to watch the that's movie right. too, <laughs> so dude. Just, that's totally right. And I'm, I'm very that's much totally a person. Right. I I'm not, I don't retain stuff well anyway. <laughs> so I get that. I get yeah. that. And there is another. There is like part of me that's like. Uh, I think it's the school part of my brain that's just like when I think of it as like something I have to read, I, I equate it with study, like school. Yeah, I understand that. Right, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. not. It I enjoy reading this stuff, yeah. but yeah. It, it does feel. But I get that. But it's also I just I think we should stray away, and I think we're gonna stray away a little bit from books on the next episode. Well, we're definitely going to. If, oh yeah, there's no books yeah. involved or movies. Um, all right. So, I am. A real big fan of Mega Man, the video game series from Capcom. It's been around since the any days of the NES. It's it's like one of the longest running, I think, video game series of all time. Uh, it's still going. I mean, they're still making Mega Man games, and, and uh, there's a live action movie that's being worked on. Oh, is there? Which is crazy to me. Um, they there's been multiple oh, anime just... shows and and TV shows, comics. Mega Man's been around forever, the Blue Bomber. But we're not talking about any of those. We are going to be talking about the Mega Man video games, specifically the first few, uh, the first three games. Uh, maybe jump right into Mega Man 2, Tim. Mega Man 1 is, like... Is it super hard? It's, like, really fucking hard. <laughs> like, like, no, play it. Well, what I'll do is I'll... Give it a half hour of your time. I'll that $9 thing, and I'll play through it, and when it gets hard, I'll just go, screw this. I'll, and skip I'll to two. Re- I'll skip to Because two. two and three are... are are, they're they're challenging, but they're relatively accessible. Like you, Figure with enough out. patience, they can be beaten pretty. Okay, one will make you want to throw your console out the window. Anyway, those first three games, and we're gonna be talking about my fa- my personal favorite, like modern band, the Proto Men. The Proto Men are a uh, a musical uh, outfit out of Nashville, Tennessee. They uh, have two concept albums and a couple of... Uh, they have a Queen cover album and uh, kind of a hodgepodge 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s cover album as well. But uh, their, their, the work they're most known for is their, their first two albums, Act 1 and Act 2. The Father of Death is Act 2, and I think Act 1 is Hope Rides Alone. Um, these are concept albums that use Mega Man 
the characters and the basic storyline as a basis for this kind of rock opera that they have where you have different different members of the band playing different parts and uh there are there's storylines uh in the liner notes and the lyric notes you can find these online it's totally doable um but uh, if you like the music support the band i'm a big fan honestly like then these aren't like like rich like it's like if i can make them a couple bucks off of this episode i would love it yeah um anyway but yeah very excited about this um you have heard some Proto Men, I think. Oh, for sure. I'm they, sure. They do a great um, cover of In the Air Tonight. Be, be, no, because well, that too. But because the night they do oh, both yeah. the the Bruce Springsteen and the uh, Patty Smith. Version. They trade it off. Yes. <laughs> I remember the first time. I <laughs> the think song I, I love. I think I played that for you. Yeah. And you were like, "Are they trading off the?" I think because I love like, both versions. I like all versions of that song. I think you're so. like, "Are they doing both right now?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> they they they're switching between a male and a yeah." It's really good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, so so that's cool. I'm excited for you to listen to the to the album and stuff and uh, the albums and check them out. So um, you can play the Mega Man Collection is probably so if you want to play and listen along with us next time, you can play yeah. the game on Switch. There's a collection, and it's I, also on PlayStation, on PlayStation 4 yep. or PlayStation, probably on PlayStation. I don't know how whatever PlayStation. I don't know how the PlayStation Network works. I don't know if everything that's on four is also on five. I don't I don't know Maybe, how that works. Yeah. The Mega Man Legacy Collection Volume 1 is what you're looking for. Right. That will have the first six games. It's all the NES games. Yes. So, And you can find the Proto Men streaming on whatever service you use. Yeah, they're or, on Spotify. Yeah. They're on, I think, I'm sure Pandora and all that. So you whatever you want to... You can probably find the albums on YouTube yeah. as well. So yes. You, yeah. yeah. Maybe they'll have the liner notes, but uh, Genius, we checked out before. Genius. They have the liner notes. Has yes. the liner notes, which, are, which will tell the story for yes. you. Or you can support them and buy... Right. I was just thinking maybe if like maybe for, someone no, wanted I to know, test I them know, out. I know, I know. <laughs> test it out, see if you like them. Just, you might not like them, and and and, and that's that's fair. Yeah, then you're shit out of luck for our next. Episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too bad. Um, <laughs> well, we got I got a slapped with the, the explicit tag on this <laughs> this podcast yes. now too. But I should mention um the <laughs> listen to the albums in order, album one and album two. But note that the second album is actually a prequel to the story of the first album. So just. You'll learn everything that leads up to that first album. So, anyway, that's it. Mega Man 1 through 3, the video games originally released on NES and available on pretty much every platform now. And the first two albums from the band, The Proto Man, Act 1 and Act 2. Thank you guys for joining us for Alien 3. We hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed talking about it. Uh, we broke the rules a bit, but we're not doing it this time. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>